All right, you got your camera? You got a bag? You ready to go? Jump on in, we're heading down the road. My name's April, and I'm an award-winning landscape photographer and tour guide. I've been leading small group photo tours for over 20 years. For photographers, non-photographers, and anyone else that just likes to go for a great trip. So welcome to my podcast, Eyes for the Road. I am very pleased to be able to interview Brenda Tharp. And she's been a professional photographer for many years, an educator, an author. She has many wonderful photography books. She's contributed to all kinds of publications from everything from outdoor photographer, uh, travel holiday. Um, she has greeting cards, done, you know, done galleries, kind of just worn all kinds of hats. So I kind of want to get just jump right in and get started because I'm sure she has lots of great information to share. And she also has a brand new book out called Expressive Nature Photography. And just being that I've read some of her other books, there's always really good gems of information. Even if you've been a longtime photographer or, you know, just starting, there's all kinds of good stuff in there. So why don't you start, Brenda, and introduce yourself and kind of your journey as to when you started photography or when you chose the camera as your artistic means of expression, so to speak? Okay. Well, first off, thank you for that wonderful introduction. You did a great job. I don't think I have to add too much to that. (laughs) But as far as how I got started, it's always been a question of interest to a lot of people. And I think it's, it's a valid question because when we get onto this path of photography, somewhere, somewhere along the way, someone affected us. And for me, it really goes way back to my dad. He was the family photographer in the sense that he recorded all of our family vacations and right down to the fact that he recorded all of my sisters and I parading out of the house in our new Easter dresses and posing on the steps. It was pretty corny, but, you know, that... That is where the photography activity began. And then as Dad got more involved in it, and as I grew, there were more outdoor photography adventures. And so he started then photographing the vacation itself and the scenery, not just us in the scene. And I just was kind of emulating him as a kid. And when I got to be sort of in my 12 or 13 uh, age bracket somewhere in there. He gave me a brownie camera. A lot of people don't even know what those are anymore, <laughs> but it was those early cameras with film right. that, you know, that got me started. And so then I was documenting the backyard and the, and the woods and the lake near our home where we'd go swimming. And I didn't realize it, but it was, the bug was starting to bite, you know, right. and I was really getting into it. And so then as I got older, he taught me how to process my own film in the dark room. And I went down that path for a number of years, still doing outdoor photography and a little bit of of recording the vacation travels that we did as well. And and then color hit. And when I discovered color slide film, oh. I thought, oh, my gosh. And from that point forward, I just... 
I had dreams of being a photographer, and Dad always thought of it as a hobby. So he wasn't encouraging me to go down the path of an artist, you know, and a photographer because, in his opinion, you weren't going to be able to make a living off of it. And coming from the era that he did, he thought, oh, my gosh, you know, this right. poor girl, she's got to get a good education and get a job, a real job. Right. <laughs> You know, so um, so it remained a hobby for a long time, and it remained a dream. But eventually, I saw my way to where it was more than just a dream, and I started entering contests, and I had some local shows. I was living back in New Jersey then, and this was all while I was still either in college or working after college. But I was keeping my hand in and keeping as involved as I could when I wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And then finally, one day in 1985, I just heard this little voice that said, it's time. And it took me a long time to get to that because I didn't have that support and the encouragement of anyone around me to go for it. Everybody thought, oh, my gosh, it's a beautiful hobby, but it's a risk. You don't, you right. don't want to do this as a living, you know. Right. So I, I finally just shut those voices out and listened to that inner voice and quit my corporate job and said, I'm a photographer now. Right. And boy, I had no idea what that was going to mean. <laughs> <laughs> I just knew I had to do it, you know? I, right. It, it, yeah, it was just sort of like a calling, if you will, but it really wasn't because it took a long time for me to hear that voice. <laughs> yeah. So ever since then, then you've been doing what you love. Yes, absolutely. And I've also done some things I didn't love in order to keep the bills paid and to keep calling myself a photographer and and in business. I did a lot of different types of photography because my first love was nature and mm-hmm. still is nature and then travel photography got in there as well so those are the two areas that I'm most passionate about if you want to label a subject area but again a lot of people said oh you're a photographer but you know it's really hard to make a living off nature photography or travel photography <clears throat> and not having an income at that point I thought hmm maybe I should look at other ways I can make some money while I pursue my passion within photography. So I got into advertising and corporate photography, and for a number of years I was doing commercial work, and that paid the bills. Right. And it paid the bills well, but it wasn't filling up my soul. And while there's nothing wrong with that type of photography, it just wasn't what I wanted. Right. So number of years later, I thought, nope, here we go again. I'm going to shut out those voices that said, you can't make a living off of nature and travel. And I went for it. And I just said, I'm going to pursue, you know, magazines and book publishers and assignments in whatever way I can that will get me outdoors and traveling. Mm-hmm. And here I am. It worked. It worked. I know. Yeah. I, I, and I think, and I don't know if you feel this way, but I've talked to the other um, women photographers, that road seems like it's been a little bit more challenging at times to yes. kind of break into. And I don't know why. I mean, it's like it's okay to take family and baby portraits and those types of things, but to break into like landscape and leading workshops and 
that type of thing seems a bit more daunting. Well, it it was definitely harder. Um, I don't know that that's as that it's as hard now as it was mm-hmm. because things have really progressed, and yet there are still challenges. But it was historically the outdoor world, hiking, backpacking, camping, hunting, canoeing, you know, those were sort of the man's world. And even though women were definitely more involved and we were backpacking and hiking and and doing all of these things, when it came to outdoor photography, it still seemed like there was a greater portion of men doing it than women. And the women that I knew were might have been doing some of that on the side, but they were still making the bulk of their living from portraits or event-type photography. So they were kind of splitting the two areas in order to survive. But mm-hmm. they were passionate about being outdoors like I was and, and wanting to do more of that, you know. And fortunately for me, I just never... I wasn't really good at doing portrait or wedding photography. I dabbled in it, right. but it it just wasn't my thing. And that kind of shows in your pictures, I think, you know? Yeah, I agree. So I didn't get that much work from that because, first off, in my heart, I didn't really want it. And secondly, um, because of that, I also wasn't all that creative with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was good enough, but... You know, it wasn't going to be the, the career path. Did you have any mentors or anyone that maybe kind of helped open the door to some of the landscape, the you know, the nature books, or was it more by getting your photos published in the publications? You opened your own doors, in other words. I really opened my own doors in terms of getting things done, but having having done that, I I still know that my my efforts were influenced by all of the studying and reading that I did about how to build a business, how to, you know, just, I mean, how to publish a book. I didn't go out and take a course in how to publish a book. I just knew that there were certain steps that you had to take by reading some of the guidebooks that were out there on getting published. And so it really came down to just taking that step, sending a proposal in for my very first book, uh, Creative Nature and Outdoor Photography. And that was since revised and published to be updated for digital back in 2010, I believe it was. But the first book came out in 2003. And in 2001 or 2000, I had sent a proposal in to Watson Guptill, who later became Random House and now Mm -hmm. is Penguin Books. But Watson Guptill, they were doing the AM photo series of books, and I thought, I could do one of these. I don't know why I thought that, but I thought, I could do this, you know? (laughs) So I put the proposal together, and I put 60 duplicate slides into the packet, and I sent it in, and I waited, and I waited. And I followed up after about a month and a half, I followed up with the editor that I had sent it to, and I kept missing her. She wasn't in the office, you know, she was in a meeting, whatever it was, and it was so stressful. And finally, after six months, I I called and said, at this point, I'd like my material back because 
it seems to me you're not interested. Right. Well, she had to go look for it. That was depressing. (laughs) (laughs) It was in some dusty corner of her office, I guess. And, And she said, well, I'll find it. I'll have to look for it, and I'll find it, and I'll get it back to you. And she never even said, you know, I like the idea, but there was nothing. Nothing. And, and it just broke my heart. So I got all the materials back, and I thought, well, I'm going to propose somebody else. You know, they say if you fall off a horse, get right back on, right? Right, exactly. So, so I sent it out to somebody else, and they loved the idea, but... They wanted the book to be all about selling nature photography because that seemed to be the trend at that moment. And I said, but the book isn't about selling. It's about getting good enough that maybe you could sell. But it wasn't about selling. Right. And so I actually had to walk away from that book offer because I wasn't willing to change the focus of this book. And so ironically, within a year... I decided I was going to try again with Watson Guptill, and I called to find out who I should send it to, and the person that I spoke to, the senior editor, said, I don't remember ever seeing or hearing anything about this book. It sounds very interesting. Send it in. (laughs) Within a month, I had a contract for the original book. Oh, good. But what a mess. Yeah, what a mess if you hadn't persisted. Well, you have to. I mean, and that's that's really the lesson that I got from that is to believe in myself. So, again, no one specifically said, I'm behind you all the way. Here's what you need to do. But I took, initially, I took some classes up at Maine Photographic Workshops um, back in the day. Sam Abel was teaching there from the National Geographic. I took his class, and I was really inspired and encouraged by the end of the week to pursue this. And I knew at that point that I was going to pursue it as a career. So he was a major factor in a turning point for me to go into photography full time, mm-hmm. although he wasn't actively engaged with me and mentoring me. You no, know. but to give you that spark and just the, you know, verbal, you know. Yeah. 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 And years later, I went to hear him speak. He was doing a talk that was called The Photographer's Life, um, and it was sponsored by the Geographic. And I was in Denver, and he was giving this talk. And one of the things that he said was, a photographer's life is not necessarily a lucrative life financially, but it is a richly rewarding life. And that just resonated with me, and I thought, here again, he's further, you know, further inspiring me to stick with it, no matter what. This life is so rich, and the experiences you have, and and the not just getting published, but getting the experience and having the moment that you've captured on film or digital. It's right. just awesome. Yeah, it is. It's incredible. So when did you start moving into um, teaching workshops? <laughs> well, it's, I laugh because um, the day that I decided to become a full-time photographer and leave my corporate work, I thought, 
I should start teaching some workshops. That's a good way to start making some money while I figure out what my next step is. And and it's really kind of funny because I look back and I think, what made me think that I was accomplished enough to teach a workshop, you know, ever at that point? I had been published a few times, but nothing big. No one knew who I was in the world or even in my own town, you know. Mm -hmm. So what made me do that? And I realized later that we all have, we're all looking at people above us on the ladder, if you will. Exactly. that we are aspiring to be as good as or equal to. And there are people that are behind us on the ladder that need to learn more and need to open up to their creativity as well as learning the techniques. And there will always be people that you can teach. And so that that's how I started. And so my workshops were one-day events or maybe a weekend where we'd have a lecture Saturday morning, we'd go out in the field Saturday afternoon, and then we'd meet Wednesday night for a critique session after we had time to get the film process. Mm-hmm. You know, so they were very, very local. Right. And that was good because that meant I didn't have a lot of travel expenses and overhead to deal with those. And I found that I really enjoyed teaching in that process. I thought, this is really great. So no matter what else I've done, teaching has been there since 1985 for me because I have a passion for helping people and opening up their doors of creativity. Yes, I agree. I think, And I think for a lot of people, that's what it is. They have, I think everybody, and I don't know how you feel, I hear varying things, but I think everyone's got something in them that needs to be expressed and it's just a matter of pulling it out and whether they use a you know pen and paper or they use a camera i mean it's encouraging that creativity that absolutely and, it's and you probably have this in your workshops, too, where people come and they, they make statements like, I, I'm not very creative, or, you know, I can make a technically good picture, but I feel like my pictures are lacking something. And it's not like we're, you know, if someone said, can you really teach somebody to be creative? And my answer is, yes. But you're not really giving them any formula for it. All you're really doing is being there as a guide to be supportive and to encourage and to perhaps give them exercises they can do that help them see their own creativity and let it unfold and flow. And so, you know, that, that's the most exciting thing for me. Oh, it is. It is. It's such a joy. Yeah. So currently your newest book is Expressive Nature Photography. Uh-huh. So I kind of glanced at some of the chapters because that's one I haven't picked up yet. And I don't know, I, I, there's just such good information. Is there, how long did it take you to put it together? Um, I don't know. You want to speak on that a little bit? or? Yeah. Well, the book is, um, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because as you do books, you sometimes... When in this case, this book was um, requested 
I guess that's the easiest way to say it. The editor that I had worked with before had moved on from the company that I had been published with regularly, and she was working for a new publisher. And the the series of photo books that had been produced, um, I don't think there's as many new ones. I think the series is sort of flattened out. Mm-hmm. And she really wanted to keep some of her favorite writers that were writing for her previously. She wanted to keep them writing books. And so she approached her publisher about doing a series and getting a new series started, and he went with it. And so she reached out to me and asked me to do a book on nature photography. And it was interesting, April, because after you've written the first book and then revised it for digital, which doesn't change when you're talking about composition, right? It has nothing to do with digital or films. So, so, like, I thought to myself, my first reaction was, yes, yes, I'm happy to write it. (laughs) And then later I thought, oh, my God. Right. What, what did I do? What have I taken on? I know. Yeah. What, what, you know, how much more do I have to say about composition yeah. or about visual design or depth or, you know, even light, you know? So, so at, at first it was exciting and then the panic set in because I thought, I don't want to write the same book. Right. So even though the topics will be similar, if not the same, you know, I wanted to approach it as as freshly as I could, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, so it was a bit of a challenge because I didn't want to feel like I was saying the same old thing. And I think I've, I've succeeded in writing a fresh book. So the insights about these different topics are are fresh or approached differently. And, of course, all the images in the book are new images. And, and that helps, too, I think, yeah. to yeah. when you're forced to kind of choose different images and try to think of a different different way. And I love some of the topics, like all light is good light. Because you often see topics, you know, I run into people that are like, well, you can only photograph at sunrise and sunset. And, and it's like, no, no. <laughs> yeah. I, so I think you address some of these, you know, some of these things that, there's always a way to create. There's always a way to use a camera to do that. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's really, that, that's a great example because it's understanding light so that you can determine how it can be useful and what sorts of things are good under the different lighting conditions. So, you know, it may not be that, that a lot of nature photography is great, you know, in midday light. Right. But if you're into other things, that light can be very useful. And even in nature photography, if you wanted to do some backlit leaves on a tree or you're underneath the flower and you want to get the glow of the light coming into the petals and through mm-hmm. the petals, top-down light which is midday, is really some of the best light to work with for that. Right. You know, so, so there definitely are ways to, to utilize the light, and that's what I was trying to get to in this book. So the book is really an emphasis on the aesthetic side of photography, but all the captions have the technical info in it as well as the description and the thought process behind 
what I wanted to do in making that picture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it should be a great book. I love the extraordinary everyday photography. I think it's a great reference for people. It really opens up, you know, because just page by page, there's new ideas or different. Because sometimes you do, you get in a rut of always looking at things sometimes in a similar fashion. So I think it's a good, great book for anybody. I think that's, it's, it's kind of a classic. Thank <laughs> you. Thank Congratulations. You. And, well, I really appreciate that. And my partner, Jed Manwaring, who co-authored and produced with me, the two of us for years have been photographing. I mean, we say that we're nature and travel photographers, but, you know, Earth Taz you know, in in his in the heyday of his career, mm-hmm. really resisted being pigeonholed or labeled as a certain type of photographer because he was drawn to light and form and texture and and it it was beyond the subject itself. So he never wanted an editor to think of him as a food photographer or an or a landscape photographer. But you know, for, from a business point of view, it makes sense to market yourself as a certain type right. of photographer. But really, secretly, so the secret's no longer a secret <laughs> now, because I. When Jen and I put this book together, it was because we've been photographing like that for a long, long time the same way. We respond to the light, to the pattern, the color, the juxtaposition, and Jed is excellent at that. And mm-hmm. so, you know, all these years we've been doing this in addition to doing nature photography and where the extraordinary everyday photography really you know works well is also with travel photography because you're out and about you know and it may be a familiar city or it may be a new place that you're visiting but you know with those fresh eyes you can find really wonderful things that just celebrate light and and the beauty of what we see around us you know, the stuff that's so cool. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask, and I have to get into talking about all of your wonderful workshops. I mean, you've got things to Slovenia, New Tanzania, Namibia. So <laughs> how long do you take when you want to research some of these places before you actually put it together as a workshop? Well, I typically, and I say typically because occasionally it changes, mm-hmm. I typically don't uh, offer a tour until I've been, because I just, even if you use a good local guide, you know, I feel that, first off, it's going to be easier to sell a trip that you've been on, because you have pictures to show for it, and that inspires people to go with you, but secondly, I just feel that it's really important to, to know the lay of the land and how the light is in right. that place that I'm visiting. Where I've deviated from that is if I have co-led a trip, like my first trip to Namibia, my girlfriend, who's also a pro photographer, had been to four times or maybe five times. So she had the pictures. She knew the locations. And 
and so, and I had the name, you know, right. and so together we, we put it out there and we filled the trip, you know, oh, so, and it was terrific. And so that's an unusual situation. Normally I'm going to go and I'm going to scout something first, you know, but I have been convinced a few times to take on trips that are so-called really easy mm-hmm. to, um, to lead a trip someplace that you haven't been, but it's still not easy to sell it because a lot of people unless they know you and they'll follow you into a dark room anywhere because they know you you know they're not going to sign up if they think she hasn't been there before you know they don't want to risk it so so it's not worth it most times to try and offer up something if you've never been you know Mm -hmm. common sense really so but that being said Tanzania is a new trip for me But it is also one of these trips that I feel, having been in Namibia so many times, um, I have the wildlife experience, and it's very, very similar wildlife. And, And light isn't an issue for me. And the locations are already in place because this is an itinerary that this tour company has been running for 20-some years. Mm -hmm. So it's not like... I need to know all of these places because the drivers are experts. They know where to be, when to be, and they take direction from me as you get on an animal and you realize you want to be off on the left. But in most cases, the drivers already know that. They've worked with photographers so long. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What an opportunity to travel all of these incredible places. So what are some of your favorite places in the world that you tend to be drawn back to because I think all of us kind of there's certain places sometimes that just continue to call us or we we don't feel or maybe it's that we when we went there we we just didn't feel like we got what we came for as far as an image or something yeah um you know it's an interesting thing because I do have a lot of favorites and There's really not one that I could pick Mm -hmm. in the sense that every place I go offers up its own special gifts. Right. I love the southwest deserts of the U.S. I'm drawn to these big, wide-open spaces and and the drama of the light and storms and the fact that the desert is this, what seems to be, you know, on the surface, this desolate place, and yet it is so full of life. And the hardships of life in those areas intrigue me as well. So I really love spending time in the desert southwest of the U.S. And that's why Morocco and Namibia are also attractive to me because they both represent some of that southwest desert Mm-hmm. You know, um, right. landscape and culture and so forth. So that's been real interesting, that, you know, the, the parallel between those. Another place of mine that has remained a favorite for, my, for many years is southeast Alaska. I mean, Alaska in general is a land of superlatives, but southeast Alaska, which you can really only experience from a boat, is just one of those places that every time I go, I I get different experiences. And, you know, over the time that I've been going, so I've probably done like 
12 or 14 trips there. Mm-hmm. I've amassed a lot of images, many images that, you know, after a while you think, how much more ice can I photograph, you know? Right. Oh, I understand. <laughs> I, you can't resist the darn no, stuff. No, no. It's stunning, you know? And, and, of course, you're excited about a glacier calving, which is really weird in itself because we don't want them to melt away. <laughs> but that calving experience is what you're dying for right, to get exactly. on in the camera. <laughs> <laughs> so you're hooting and hollering when a big piece falls into the sea, you know. <laughs> but, but it's one of these it's one of these magical places. For one, it's it's the just the air is so clean and fresh when you breathe it. Mm-hmm. And the the surprises that are around every corner, you never know when a whale's going to pop up, you know. Right. And, and, you know, th- this most recent adventure that I had, I was working as an instructor, photography instructor for Lynn Blatt Nat Geo Expeditions on their small ships. And we had, we encountered a mama moose with her baby. Oh, oh my God. And we spent 45 minutes just creeping ever so slowly, keeping parallel with her while she walked the edge of the water. And we had incredible reflections and and just being able to see that and experience it was magical. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's something I had not seen in all the trips I had ever done. No, I've never seen that. I mean, that's, and that's the surprise. Like you said, you just know that today there might be something around the corner. You don't know what it might be. And that's, that's, I think that's just what you just um, said. It's what keeps us going, so to speak, keep chasing and looking. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's partly you're chasing good light in some cases, mm-hmm. but in Alaska, light is great. Dramatic light is really fleeting, and I mean that's why Southeast Alaska is so green and lush because it rains a lot. So it taught me to also work with what you might consider adverse conditions, and how to pull off quality images under those lighting conditions because the grand sunset light and the dramatic light over the Grand Canyon is pretty easy. Right, right. It's not so easy when a lot of your days are soft, diffused light or cloudy, downright yeah. rainy, cloudy. You know? right. how, do you, how do you manage to get the images that you want from that? And, and for me, it was really over time having the patience to know that over time, I'm building a story. I'm telling the story of Southeast Alaska, and not every image is going to be that knock-you-out dramatic light or moment. There are quiet moments. There are moments of, of beauty and simplicity. But the forest itself, you know, there is is also magical for me. So it's just a great place. Mm-hmm. But the list of where I want to go of what I would consider my next favorite place yes, yes, and the next right. one after that <laughs> is so long that I couldn't even begin to start, you know, because culturally as a travel photographer, I also really love, I love Italy. I mm-hmm. love it because I get landscapes there, but I also love the people, the villages. Um, Slovenia is the same way for me. I went last fall, and I'm going again this fall, and I'm scheduled for next fall. And it's just one of those places that grab, you know, you never know. They're just going to grab you by the heartstrings. 